0: Well, Good morning. morning, She warmed you up. That's good. Um, Well, my name is Justin McCoy, and uh, I'm relatively new here to to fellowship, Uh, and so it's a joy to get to know some of you uh, so far and and hopefully get to know all of you over time. Uh, I serve with the Navigators, and I think many of you have... um, Heard of the Navigators. I know other Navigator staff that go to fellowship here, but uh, particularly I'm the director of the 20s Ministry here in Nashville. And a few weeks ago, we had a 20s gathering in Paul and Lisa McGrady's home. And if you don't know or if you haven't met Paul and Lisa McGrady yet, I want to encourage you to do so. They're wonderful people. Uh, When we were there, we all ate a delicious meal together. And then before we got into the topic of the night, uh, we asked. what I thought would be a non-controversial icebreaker question uh, of what is your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, and, and as I say that, you're probably already thinking, like, what your favorite Christmas movie? is. It's going through your head right now, and maybe there's several. Uh, a lot of the regular ones uh, that you would expect were mentioned. Home Alone, uh, A Christmas Story, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, surprisingly, nobody, uh, nobody mentioned Die Hard, um, which that, that might be a generational uh, thing. I don't know. But... Um, But my favorite Christmas movie uh, of all time, uh, it's probably not a huge surprise, it's it's a favorite for many, is the movie Elf. Um, I I love the movie Elf. Um, And if you're unfamiliar with the movie Elf, um, the best thing I can tell you is just go watch it. Uh, But if you're unfamiliar, I want to give you a brief kind of overview here of what this this movie is. Um, It's it's about Buddy the Elf played by actor Will Ferrell. As far as I know, it is not based on a true story. Uh, It's as far as I know, in the movie, Buddy is accidentally transported to the North Pole as a toddler and then raised to adulthood uh, among Santa's elves. All right. So unable to shake this, this feeling that he doesn't fit in, which makes sense because he's twice the size of the rest of the elves. Uh, he decides that he is going to um, take a journey. To go look for uh, his real father, and so Buddy travels to New York in full elf attire, uh, looking for his father. And so I won't won't give you any more than that. I would encourage you to go watch it. But uh, at one point in the movie, Buddy is in a mall, and he comes across uh, the 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 Santa, the mall Santa, right? And he's obviously not the real Santa. All right, uh, and so this is by far my favorite scene in the movie, and if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. The mall Santa is not the Santa that Buddy has come to know and with whom he has a personal relationship with. Buddy tells this mall Santa, the, the fake Santa, that he smells like beef and cheese, and eventually that he sits on a throne of lies. Uh, I love this scene, and um, why do I mention this? Like, where, where am I going with this? Uh, well, I, I think this scene actually illustrates in a lot of ways, the importance of the sermon series that we're going through. Now, hear me out. You're like, what, what is he talking about? You see, Buddy could easily spot the fake Santa. He could easily spot the fake Santa because he had a relationship. He knew the real Santa. He knew the real Santa, and he could spot the fakes. In the world today, there's, there's no shortage of opinions and perspectives uh, on the person of Jesus, especially amid the Christmas season, which is full of Christmas music. We have Christmas uh, movies, um, Christmas decorations, and, and we even have Christmas blend coffee. Uh, we have Christmas everything. Uh, and in all of that, there's these messages and, and things being communicated about Jesus and about Christmas that may or may not be true. And in all of this, it's important that we know the real Jesus, that we have a relationship with the real Jesus. We can spot the, the false messages uh, when they come up and they're all around us. Jesus, his birth, his identity, um, all of those, uh, the topics associated with, with Christmas, um, it's important that we get that information right. Because of that, it's vital that we make sure we we know the Jesus of the Bible. We know the Jesus of Scripture. And so the real Jesus of Christmas uh, is what we're looking at, really, uh, in these these last week and in the coming weeks, uh, in the first two chapters of Matthew. And the first two chapters of Matthew, uh, we're going to see several things. Uh, Last week, uh, we saw the anticipated king. And um, Pastor Mark walked us through that and introduced that to us. And this week, we're looking at the saving king, Jesus as the saving king. And as we move forward, we're going to see... Uh, Christ as the honored king and the fulfilling king. Again, last week we looked at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Beginning of Matthew, the part that, uh, which, I mean, Mark did a fantastic job pronouncing names. Uh, When we were discussing months ago, like, hey, which which one of these messages are you available for? And I was like, I was available last week, but I was not confident (laughs) I could pronounce those names. And so I thought this would be a better week. Um, And so... Uh, I'm glad Mark kicked us off with uh, the first 17 verses of, of Matthew, and so today we're going to pick up in verse 18 and look at verses 18 to 25. and And I would encourage you to go turn there, uh, click there, scroll there, uh, however you you get there. Get there. Um, it's going to be on the screen as well. Um, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Again, that's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And I'm going to ask something. If you're able. Would you stand with me for the, uh, the reading of God's word? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she, found, uh, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And before you sit down, let me pray for our time together this morning. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather. I think of we're grateful for your scripture, and I think of, of the uh, Psalm 62, which was read earlier, and the reminder that our hope is from you. You are a rock in our salvation, you are our fortress, and in you we, we will not be shaken. You are a refuge. Lord, may we trust in you at all, all times. May we uh, trust in you today. Help us to trust you in the day-to-day messiness of our, our lives. And Lord, as we enter in this season, or really we're in the midst of it right now, but in this season, I pray that we would um, we'd be reminded that you promised a coming King. Uh, we'd remember that you promised us a, a Messiah, a Savior, Lord, and you provided that in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we continue this morning into Matthew 1 and we, we look at the birth of Christ, um, I pray also that we would... That we'd be a people of faith, a people that look towards the second coming of Christ, that we'd look towards uh, the return of Jesus, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us to have faith and and trust your faithfulness. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, whether you've grown up in the church or not, um, I think many of us, uh, are familiar with Matthew chapter one verses eighteen to twenty-five. We're familiar with the Christmas story. It's 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 some it's culturally we have some idea of it. Again, it might be a, a correct uh, understanding of it or not. But there's there's a great familiarity with this passage, and as a result, uh, there's no shortage of resources and commentaries on this particular passage of scripture. This is one that uh, many people have thoughts and, and want to give their their thoughts on this passage. I think the greatest commentary, though, on Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, is actually, I uh, was written a long time ago by a guy named Paul uh, to uh, a church. And so if you have a Bible, again, you don't have to keep, if you like, if it keeps you awake to go back and forth to different passages, go ahead and go for it. But in Galatians chapter 4, in verses 4 through 5, we have a, a two-verse, one-sentence summary of the history recorded in Matthew chapter 1. And so I'm going I'm to read from Galatians 4, because uh, I, I love this summary, and I think it. we're going to come back to Matthew 1, but we're going to look at this for a second. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 say, says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, in some ways, verse 4 here is, is summarizes the Christmas story. Uh, it was in the fullness of time. It was in the fullness of time that Jesus Christ came. And that fullness of time, uh, it refers to the, the completion of preparation in God's redemption timetable. Now, that, that's a mouthful of a statement, so I'm going to repeat that. The fullness of time refers to the completion of preparation in God's redemption timetable. So, God gave us His law to show us our utter sinfulness. He wanted to show our utter sinfulness and to reveal that we are completely incapable of living up to His standard, His perfect standard. And so, when the law had fully accomplished this purpose, the purpose of showing us our utter sinfulness, and the purpose of, of helping us realize that we cannot live up to God's perfect standard of righteousness, at that point, God ushered in a new era of redemption. And so, it's at that time that, that God sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ. And so when the fullness of time came, uh, had come, when Jesus was born, everything was right for the coming of the Messiah. This, isn't, this is not a random time. This is not a, a random moment in history. This is uh, planned and this is, this is a picture of God's perfect timing. Recently, I was reading some scholars who much smarter than me were pointing out the ideal timing of Jesus' birth and the different factors that were uh, just kind of amazing as we see of, of the timing in history when Jesus came into the world here. Recently, uh, as I was reading this, I saw the um, several key components that I I just want to show you, I want to point out to you this morning. So this time period, uh, there was a rise of the synagogues. Jews developed synagogues as a place for not only uh, um, worship, but as schools and even as courts, and uh, and the, the rise of the synagogues provided a place for messages to be communicated to groups of people more easily than in the past. And so at the same time, also you have the completion of uh, and the compiled and completed Old Testament. And so you think about those two things, just the compiled and completed Old Testament along with the the synagogue as a a place, a venue to communicate that message. The More than ever, Jews were eagerly anticipating a coming Messiah. They were aware of and anticipating a coming king they would have been familiar with passages like Isaiah 7.14, which is actually quoted in our passage this morning, Matthew 1.23. Uh, It's it's this uh, reference to the prophecy back in Isaiah, and I'll, I'll read it here for you. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so with the compiled and completed Old Testament and the rise of synagogues as a platform to teach the Old Testament, there was this anticipation for a coming king which was exactly what Mark introduced for us last week. But the timing was also right for, for other reasons. You could say the timing was right culturally. Christians would later, who would later spread the gospel during the first century, for several centuries, had a common language uh, to communicate that message. Uh, a guy by the name of Alexander the Great, who many of you are probably familiar with, uh, he um, established Greek culture and the Greek language throughout the known world. The Greek language became the trade language and was used widely by surrounding countries and people groups. In other words, the Greek language made it possible to get a message out far and fast unlike any time before. And so what we see here in this is that the timing of the birth of Christ was not random. Paul's language here is not not just a a throwaway sentence. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. But thirdly, you could say that time was right politically. Rome had instituted the Pax Romana, meaning peace in Rome. And Pax Romana provided economic and political stability. Practically, this meant that the apostles and other early preachers and teachers uh, could travel and move about uh, relatively easily and, and, and relatively safely, throughout, at least through the Roman Empire. And they could do this on the elaborate systems of roads built by the Romans. And each of those factors was influential in what would, would later be the spread of the gospel which later, just years after, 30 years later, after the birth of Christ, we begin to see that gospel go forth. And so a completed and compiled Old Testament, the rise of synagogues as a platform to get the good news out, along with the common trade language of what we know now as Koine Greek, made it possible to get this message out to a wide audience. And then the Roman Empire provided a system of roads that, that literally paved the way for future apostles like the, or, and messengers like the Apostle Paul to carry the good news to foreign lands. And so I love Paul's summary in Galatians 4. And we're gonna get back to Matthew 1, I promise. But I love Paul's summary here of, of the events in the history of Matthew chapter 1 that, that when, when the fullness of time had come, at the right time, at the perfect time, God sent forth his son. But how did he come? Well, I think Paul says what seems like a really uh, unnecessary statement, but it is important. It says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a... Woman. Now, 99.9% of the time, that is an unnecessary addition, I think, right? Born of a woman. But here it tells us Jesus was fully man. Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God. We see that in this passage. We see it elsewhere in Scripture. But it's an important piece of information. It's critical to the story. Matthew 1.18 states that before they came together, it's referring to Mary and Joseph, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, we could spend the rest of our time together uh, talking about that statement. Uh, that before they, they came together, that there is found to be with, uh, with child from the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus was conceived miraculously. Mary was found to be with child from from the Holy Spirit. Early on in Matthew, what this tells us, early on in in the Gospel of Matthew, here in chapter 1, we're introduced to this complicated reality. This complicated reality that Jesus is human, and Jesus is God. That Both of those things are true, and it's not a 50-50 split. He is fully God and fully human. And Paul says it this way, God sent forth his son, born of woman. So God sent forth his son. That, that's indicating Jesus' divinity, right? He is the son of God, born of a woman. And just that, those three words is indicating he is also human. He's man. He's both God and man. And so what we see here is not only was God's timing perfect, his plan was perfect. God's plan was perfect. As the son of God, he is divine. He is, he's sinless, And as uh, he has the power to save, being fully God, he was a sufficient sacrifice to to pay the penalty for sin. As son of man, born of the Virgin Mary, he could stand in our place as our substitute. God sent his son born of a woman. And Mary's virgin birth is a crucial piece making Jesus qualified to be our savior. He has the credentials to be our saving king. But Jesus not only came to earth as a man born of a woman, but he also came, uh, was also born under the law. He was born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Now what that means is that like every other Jew, like every other uh, Jewish person born, let alone a Jewish man, he was under obligation to obey and be judged by God's written law in the Old Testament. But... But unlike any other Jew, unlike any other person, he satisfied the requirements of the law by living in perfect obedience to it. And so Jesus was born under the law to save those under the law, and he's, uh, he's both like us and not like us. Again, he came under the law to redeem those under the law. And this word that is translated in the English as redeem um, it, it, it means to buy out or buy back, and it was used to describe slaves whose freedom was purchased. Uh, it was a term often used uh, in the, the realm of, of, sl- of slavery in, in that particular area to to purchase someone 's freedom and so when a slave was was purchased, they not only became free but in some cases they could be adopted and that, that sounds maybe an interesting uh, and so I'll give you a little Roman world background here, so in the Roman world, adoption was a big deal i mean it 's similar in the way it is today, but it was also very different than adoption today uh, in adoption today it 's mostly children babies um, uh, and, and it's I mean we have a picture of adoption in our head is not usually grown men uh, most of if you've, you are adopted or you adopted someone else, you probably adopted a child, not an adult uh, and yet and often in the Roman Empire uh, it was or primarily I would say uh, adoption was a, was something that, was, that took place with, with not children, not babies, but mostly with grown males, grown men, and for a specific purpose. And that's why Paul's language here, adopted as sons, isn't to limit the, the, the audience here. It's not to say that this is only for men, but it, does, uh, it communicates something very important. You see, in this time and place where Paul wrote, the vast majority of, of these adoptions were of grown men because a wealthless uh, landowner, a landowner, a wealthless man who didn't either have children or yet ha- didn't have children, or he didn't have a son in particular, would find himself unable to pass on his his inheritance to someone else. He would he would choose to redeem a slave. He would buy a slave and adopt him as a son, and that a slave would then have the full rights and inheritance as if that slave was uh, the child of that landowner of that individual. And so the language we have here from the, uh, the Apostle Paul is one of a, of, of, that they would have been familiar with in a way that maybe we're not quite as familiar with today. As a slave to be redeemed, meant to be bought out of slavery and then adopted as a son, and it would change your life immediately and it secured your future. So to summarize these verses, at, at the perfect time, God sent his son, fully God and fully man, so that we might be adopted as sons into the family of God. And as adopted sons, we would be given the dignity and inheritance that comes with being A child of God. You're like, why are we not in Matthew 1? (laughs) You know, why why spend this much time in in Galatians 4? This 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 two-verse summary of I think what's going on in Matthew 1. Well, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. That's Paul's summary to the church in Galatia of the events described in Matthew 1. But verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's that's the why behind it. As the old hymn, the Christmas hymn goes, Jesus was born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And so friends, Jesus was born, he was born to be our saving king. As we think about this Christmas season and the birth of Christ, it's important to remember the life of Christ and the full picture here that Jesus was born to be our saving king. So going back to Matthew 1, again, where we started and where we're going to eventually end up here, is where where we started. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. He appears to Joseph in a dream, and he says this in verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. I took us to Galatians 4 4 so that we could see our, that God's, God's timing was perfect in sending Jesus to be our saving king. God's timing was perfect. The events recorded in Matthew 1 reflect God's perfect timing. Back in Matthew uh, 120, though, we see God's prophecy was fulfilled. So not only is God's timings, timing perfect, but God's prophecy was fulfilled in sending Jesus to be our saving king. Christmas is this beautiful celebration. I mean, literally, literally it's, it's beautiful. We have decorations. We have uh, candles. Uh, um, it, I, I love just the spirit of Christmas. When you go someplace and the decorations are up, I love the beauty of Christmas. But there's also the the beauty behind what it actually means. It's this beautiful celebration of God's faithfulness. It's a celebration of God's faithfulness. At the perfect time, God sent forth uh, his son. He sent forth Jesus who had the perfect credentials to be our saving king, fully God and fully human, fulfilling prophecy to save his people from their sins. But that raises questions. How? How did did Jesus adopt us? Or, Or what... What did he do to adopt us into the family of God or to make that possible? How did he redeem those who were under the law? How did he make it possible for each of us to be adopted into the family of God? That part of the story isn't in Matthew chapter one, but it's so, so crucial. It's so important for us to know that as we think of Jesus as our saving king, we need to to look ahead. And Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need someone to die in our place because Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. It's like saying that the consequences or the result of sin is is death. As sinners, we deserve eternal punishment. We deserve eternal punishment, but sinless Jesus died the death we deserved. And so he was able to be our substitute because he was without sin. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21, you're probably familiar with the verse. If you memorize verses growing up, uh, this would be one of those that um, is usually in some, any Bible memory plan, right? Second Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake, God, God the Father made Him, referring to Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Jesus is the saving King. Jesus is the saving king because he made salvation possible through his death and resurrection, not just because he was born, right? That is a crucial part of the story. But as we celebrate Jesus' birth, we need to look at the whole story here. And he is our saving king because he was born to die. He was born to die and rise again. And this is, in fact, a gift. It's the gift of salvation because it's not something we earn. It's, now, I mean, at Christmas time we have gifts. We get gifts that we don't always want. Uh, I'm sure you, gifts that don't fit gifts that... We're wondering, why did this person get this? Uh, And so not all gifts are created equal, I realize that. And so in context here, I think it's important to mention, this is an amazing gift. It's the gift of salvation is a gift. It's not one that we earned. We receive it by grace. We receive this, this amazing gift, the perfect gift, the best gift, through faith in the risen and reigning King Jesus. But back in Matthew 1 here in verse 22, we see another piece of this story that I want to point out. In verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now these words of Isaiah seven they're the words that again, coming from the Old Testament, from, a, from hundreds of years before this event, these words were written. These words were written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ and they were fulfilled in the fullness of time. In these few verses in Matthew, we see God's perfect timing. God's perfect timing. We see God's prophecy fulfilled. But my favorite part of this, my favorite part of this here is that we see God's presence with us. It says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. For, For the first century Jew, the presence of God was no insignificant matter. It was something they valued and cherished and longed for. If we go way back to the very beginning, so in Genesis, right, in, in, in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, and they get to be in his presence. And that, that is good. In fact, it's actually said specifically, this is, it's good. Right? It, this is the way it ought to be. And then in Genesis, uh, well, Adam and Eve sin. In Genesis 3 8, God is walking in the garden, and then they try to hide from his presence. That sin has, has messed Things up, and it is directly affected this this idea of being in the presence of God. And then Adam and Eve are are sent out from the garden. And really, what we have throughout the Old Testament is this this um, this desire and yet difficulty to experience the presence of God. There's a desire and difficulty. There, there's a searching and a struggle to experience the presence of God. And we see this through the, the tabernacle and the temple and, and God is providing ways for, for individuals to experience his presence and yet only certain individuals can, can experience it and with certain instructions. And so there's this longing. I think it's captured beautifully in Psalm 73 and the whole, the whole chapter is great. Uh, it's, there's, there's a lot of, the, the psalmist is looking at the world and bad things are happening and he's confused and he, he's questioning and he goes to the temple And eventually, by the end of the psalm, he he, he ends with, uh, towards the end, he has this phrase here, and I think it captures the the spirit of of the Jews at this time. For me, it is good to be near God. This is what Jews were longing for, the presence of God. And so Jesus was the anticipated king. He was the long-awaited Messiah, and he's our saving king. But he's not just saving us from something, He's, of course, Matthew one twenty-one says that. He's, he came to save us from our sins, but he's saving us to something. He's saving us for something. As Emmanuel, we are reminded that, he, that Jesus came to be God with us so that we could go to be God or go to be with God. We go to be with him. For Christians, for followers of Christ, we'll one day get to experience the presence of God perfectly the way Adam and Eve experienced it before sin messed everything up. But we can't forget that Jesus is still Emmanuel. Sometimes we think of Emmanuel, we think of the Christmas, we think of the past, and we think of being with Jesus, we might think of the future. But we can easily forget that Jesus is still with us today, that Jesus is still Emmanuel. I think of uh, the Great Commission. Many are familiar with what is often referred to as Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 there's this little phrase at the end of it that often gets overlooked because the meat is really up front, right? The, the part that you're going to hear most sermons on are going to be in the beginning, and right, rightfully so. I don't want uh, to, it's, it's, it's amazing verses here. It says, Go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here it is. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in in Greek, that that word behold is written in the imperative. Uh, When we think about the command of the Great Commission, we're thinking about the go. Go and make disciples. We don't think about behold. Uh, And so here we're told to behold this reality, this truth, that Jesus is with us always. That Jesus is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. But what do we do with a passage like this? What, what do we do with a passage like this? What do, how do we apply Matthew chapter one verses eighteen to twenty-five to our life? I'm glad you asked. Uh, it's because this, this is a—it's history in some ways. It's—it's—it's it's, it's, it recalling an event. It's not necessarily calling us to action. But I do think there's there's a lot we can take from this, and I want to give you some thoughts here as we begin to wind down. As we are reminded of God's perfect and purposeful timing in the birth of Christ, may we remember that God's timing is still perfect. God's timing is still perfect. It was, this wasn't an isolated event. God's timing in the birth of Christ, the fullness of time, that's not, that's not a once-in-a-while thing for God to, to, to care about the timing of something. God is still sovereign, and his timing is perfect. And so as we consider the second candle of Advent, may we pray that the Lord would give us faith to trust his perfect timing in our lives. The trust that what God's doing in the the mess and messiness of our lives, that God's timing is still perfect, that he knows what he's doing. He's still in control. As we are reminded of God's prophecy fulfilled in Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary, may we remember that God continues. God continues to keep his promises. And so we pray. We pray, Lord, help us to remember that you are a prophecy-fulfilling, promise-keeping God. And give us faith to trust in your faithfulness. As we read Matthew 1, we're reminded that Jesus was named Emmanuel. We're not just reminded of it this morning. It's, it's common language all throughout, uh, everywhere at this time of year. We're thinking of Jesus as Emmanuel. And as we're reminded of that in Matthew 1, that Jesus is God with us at his birth, may we remember that Jesus is still with us today. In fact, let us behold that. Let us behold that reality and even rest in the truth that he is with us today and forever. I am confident that Jesus is my saving king. Jesus is my saving king, and I hope he's your saving king. I hope and trust that for, for many, if not all of you, he is your saving king. And in all the various messages about Jesus and Christmas that are communicated through movies, music, and other media during this time of the year that we're soaking in on, on TV, um, whether it be uh, Netflix or Lifetime originals, uh, we're soaking in co- Christmas content. And so my prayer is that you would know believe, and put your faith in the real Jesus of the Bible, who Matthew says will save his people from their sins. And if Jesus is your saving king, well, we have an opportunity today to celebrate communion. If, if, if Jesus is your saving king, if you're a follower of Christ, then we have the opportunity today to celebrate communion. And, and so in, uh, the band is going to come up, and the, and the pastors in a, in a few minutes are going to lead us in communion. And as we've, as we've done in the past, small groups can, uh, can come up when that, when that time comes. Small groups can come up, and I say small, you don't have to count an exact number, uh, and uh, take communion as a group. And then uh, when it's done, you sit down and another group will come up, and we'll just keep going until everyone who uh, wishes to take communion can take communion. But before we do that, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 25. This is again, this is the Apostle Paul again, and he writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We take communion to remember Christ's first coming, but we also take communion to remember that he will come again. In fact, verse 26 continues saying this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We don't know when he'll come again, despite what some people might claim. We we do not know when Jesus will come again, but you know what? We can have faith in his timing. We can have faith that he'll keep his promise of returning. And we can have faith that he will be with us until that glorious day when we get to be with him. Let me pray. Father, as we get ready to take communion, uh, I pray that we, would, we wouldn't do it out of habit, uh, out of tradition, or just because that's what was scheduled today and so we're just going through the motions. I pray, God, that we would take time to remember. And we, we are all prone to amnesia. We're prone to forget. Uh, And if we don't take time to remember, we will forget, Lord. And so as we take time this season to remember Christ's birth, I pray right now we would take time to remember his death and resurrection. And that we'd praise you and worship you, worship Christ as our saving king. Uh, But Lord, I pray also during this time, we'd be reminded that you are coming again. And Lord, I pray that we would take great joy and comfort knowing that you will return. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.